if we called them, they would help us. We went on the chat. We got instant answers. We weren't sitting there Google searching for answers for hours. And we, around the office, started calling him the good boyfriend. Like, Canvas was our good relationship. When we moved past this relationship that we had with our last LMS. And that was just like this inside joke we had in the office to describe Canvas. We are super excited because we get to welcome someone from Embry-Riddle. Tracy Perotti is our guest on the show today, Marcus. Someone that you connected with and has really become a, a template guru down there at Embry-Riddle and had a really exciting story about her experiences that she was able to tell us during this episode. It's going to be a lot of fun for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. She uh, definitely brings a, a pretty amazing uh, story in terms of you know, to me, it was just a lot of great content for any educator. Uh, if you're feeling like you're facing, facing some struggles, uh, maybe you're feeling that the, the winter blues, I think this is a great episode for you to listen to, recharge the battery, get re-energized and be ready to tackle the rest of the semester. Yeah, she talks a lot about user experience that she never thought about before uh, using Canvas, how she moved from one LMS to another, and how maybe Canvas became uh, the really good boyfriend in their institution, which is <laughs> yes. a very interesting analogy. I can't wait for folks to hear that. Yeah. But also, um, but also before we get started, we did want to let you know we dropped a promotion on our Twitter feed, at CanvasCasters. If you're following on Twitter, Facebook, at CanvasCasters, Instagram, at CanvasCasters, we are CanvasCasters everywhere but we dropped a real quick promotion we have these really exciting swag boxes prize packs that we're going to be giving away uh, we want to give you the opportunity to win these prize packs uh, with the chance uh, to be a part of this really cool swag experience. This is the first time us as Canvas casters that have had this opportunity to give you things like uh, a beanie hat, a, a lanyard, uh, <laughs> socks. We have socks right. with our logos on them. It's insane. Yeah. Um, T-shirts, headphones. I mean, come on. What better way to listen to the Canvas casters podcast than to have uh, your hands on some of this really exclusive merch that we're basically just giving away uh, for your chance to win Make sure you leave a review on the podcast, share a screenshot of that, hashtag uh, Canvas fam. Make sure you're adding the Canvas casters or sending that to us in any way that you can so that you could be entered to win one of these exciting prize packs. So cool. It was so cool to show that off. So if you haven't seen that, make sure you're following on Twitter. Welcome to episode 40 of the Canvas Casters podcast with Tracy Perotti. Tracy works as an instructional technologist at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. Prior to working at Embry-Riddle, she served as an elementary school teacher for seven years, as a K-5 through online instructor for seven years, and as a personal personalized learning leader for three years, all in the Volusia County School District in Daytona Beach. Tracy, welcome to the Canvas Casters podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. So excited. Um, we we've you know we go out, we try to find folks that have a story to tell, um, and I'm for one very excited. I know Eddie is too to kind of hear a little bit more from you, uh, Tracy. Uh, you you've got an educational journey that I think is really interesting. And um, full disclosure to the folks listening, got a little bit of backstory already. 
So we want to share that with you. Um, so, so Tracy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, but then also tell us a little bit about, you know, what has kind of motivated you through your, your edu career so far? Edu career. That's really yeah. fun. Um, first, I just want to say thank you for having me. Um, I've seen your booth at FETC, and it's really exciting to see a podcast like recording live there. It was very fun to walk past there. Um, so yeah, I started back in 2005 in the classroom. I was a primary teacher, and um, I think I had it in my DNA teaching. I grew up in the school system. My mom was a paraprofessional, and I, you know, you know those kids that are after school every day <laughs> hanging out in the teacher's classrooms, you know, sharpening pencils. That was me. Yep. Um, but I also just had a knack for it, and everybody told me I had a knack for it. And um, so my first job, I didn't have the most spectacular and supportive leader in charge of the school. And that was the first bit of motivation was like doing well in her eyes. And sometimes it's sort of like a parent where like, maybe you'll never do well in their eyes, you know? So when you, once I figured that out, I looked for other jobs and I found a job in um, an online learning school. Volusia County Schools was trying to start their own school to compete with the big, um, like Florida Virtual and stuff like that, those those businesses, basically. They were losing dollars and cents as the students left, so we made our own product, and I... You know, uh, I was their only K-5 teacher for a good four years. So I was, they called me a one-room digital schoolhouse is what I did there. And um, from there, I got to go to do some ed tech coaching because I was working remotely. And that's a little lonely. I don't, I'm sure you've done a little bit of that. So I wasn't in love with the strict remote world. So I, I went into the ed tech coaching world. And your original question was basically what kept you motivated. And I think it was basically finding what wakes me up in the morning, I think would be the answer. And if you can find those things, then like the rest is easy. And I picked two words and that'll, you know, it was autonomy in a job and then creativity. If I have a job where, you know, I have a leader that's going to trust my instincts, let me do what is best for children. And then you let me be creative to do that. Then oh, that's like the perfect fit for me. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> that mindset of finding the shift from, you know, this is something that we just put the backpack on every day. We go into our jobs, we work, um, that shift into like what motivates you to get out of bed is so cool. And what I found interesting in your story, Tracy, is just the ability to, to pinpoint, um, you know, a skill set that you've utilized to evolve as an educator. You know, when I when I reflect back, I think the easiest thing was when you found something that you loved or you found a group of educators that you loved working with or whatever it may be in that building. Right. When you reflect back on your educational career so far, what are some important things that you believe have brought you success and happiness in your work? So I think basically success and happiness find again, finding the stuff that wakes you up and gets you out of bed in the morning would be part of that. And technology was always a big part. I think everybody in a team of educators 
looks at each other as like the Avengers basically and you're really good at this and that's your secret power and and you know you're really strong so you can do this kind of thing so in education what that looks like is who's the tech guru who's the one you go to to fix your computer or to create the PowerPoint and when I was in the classroom that was me and that's how I could feel like a contributing member of the team. There were always people on our team. There was one person of the team that was the behavior guru. And if you really had that hard student, you went to them and you're like, he's doing this. And when I tried to stop him, he, he, you know, he threw a chair at me. And, and that's not a fake story. Like they throw chairs. But um, so once I kind of zeroed in on that, that technology was the way that people that I could provide something for my team, that was super motivating. And when that online learning job came up in the county and it was, I was hired by a secondary principal. So she, in the interview was like, so tell me about an elementary day. What does that look like? And she took notes. She's like 8 a.m. calendar time, you know, 8, 8.35 math time. She literally wrote down the schedule. That's how little she knew about what an elementary day looked like. So then I got to fill that gap for her and be a contributing member of her team because she had no background knowledge whatsoever on what is most appropriate for an uh, elementary student add to that how do you do it digitally you know yeah. so just helping an educational journey with your own skill set really that's when that's brought me success that's brought me happiness i that that part and there's a lot about um what we're going to talk about throughout the episode today and um a lot about your story that gets me stoked and, and that's a big part of it is you know, we, we're talking so much about your your history and your background as a primary and mm -hmm. elementary level teacher. Um, and, and particularly the, the, the online school, the K through five online is crazy. Uh, you were kind of doing that, uh, you know, you're on the front end of that. Right. Um, you know, there was some of that happening prior to the pandemic. Of course, now uh, everyone's in it. Right. Um, but you you were able to be sort of on the front end of that where you were talking about how does a K through five classroom look mm -hmm. and then how do we make that live? <laughs> how do we make that function and live in a digital space? And yeah, you I mean, were doing that a long time ago. She was doing it before it was cool. Right. 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 Now, right. It's, now it's hot. That's the hot topic. Right? Everybody's doing it now. But you were you were a trendsetter there. Can I put a little perspective to how early it was? Well, yeah. I taught online the year before my district got Skype. So oh. just real, just real. I had all the content up to absorb. I even had videos to walk you through it, but I had no access to actual children. I had to call on the telephone and convince the parents to put, to have them put their kid on the phone. And sometimes it didn't happen. They're like, no, no, I got it. It's fine when they didn't have it. And it was not fine. <laughs> See, that's, that's something. That is something. Yeah. And I, that was part when, you know, sort of lurk, looking through your background, I was like, there is, there's a certain kind of awesome that, that was happening there for sure. And then the fact, and you know, I'm, I'm Eddie, apology already. I'm, I'm off script, but, <laughs> um, but like the, we introduced you and we said you, you are an instructional technologist at Embry Riddle Aeronautical <laughs> University. We haven't even gotten there yet. I know. <laughs> um, but I think that's what, uh, you know, sort of was intriguing to me. And, and we talk about this with guests in the past. And 
we we believe as as Eddie and I both served as sort of instructional tech coach type roles uh, in the K twelve setting. Mm-hmm. We feel like there's a certain kind of crazy uh, that that leads you to to becoming that kind of person in a district, um, and, and you're kind of making our point for us here because you were you were in not to call you crazy, but we no, all are. Um, but um, to be in the K five primary setting and then to sort of meander into the online setting and then meander into being a personalized learning leader and then now getting to where you're at a university level where your true roots were in a in an in a elementary level I think is really really powerful to educators out there who um, you know Frank let's just call it what it is lots of people are running um, <laughs> True. so, uh, there are a lot of people running and, and, and I get, I get that and I get that struggle and that, you know, all of what's going on in education. This to me is a great example of never quit trying to find the thing that gets you ready to get up in the morning. Like right. Tracy said earlier, because yeah. it could be something different. Yeah. Tracy, I, I, th- I want to dive into that a little bit. So Marcus isn't the only one that might go off script. Um, I, <laughs> I think it's interesting. I have a, my wife teaches third grade, so she's, she's K through five. Um, I was a high school teacher and never to the twain shall meet, right? Like she has her world. I have my world. There were things that I would come home and say, you know, as someone that taught dual credit. So I do have a little bit of university professor experience, but dual credit as well as, Mm -hmm. you know, um, higher ed, but to be in that world and come home and say, well, I, you know, we're doing, and it's just like, that doesn't happen. We're worried about, you know, potty time. Right, right. Right, right. And I was like, well, I don't do potty, right? (laughs) Like I've got close to adults in my classroom and she's got the little. So that transition, like what was that transition like for you? And and was there a reason why you said, Okay, I'm I'm done with the littles, now it's time to move into to something a little bit, you know, um higher grade level? So it wasn't like, you know, when you're young and you like write out the life plan or whatever, it was absolutely never in the plan. I, it sort of happened. Um, uh, but my, my each job I had led me into the other job and made me feel confident enough to do it successfully. Um, the K, the in the classroom stuff led me into the online learning stuff. And I had a firm understanding of education from the classroom stuff of um, individualizing the education of personalizing it. And it was just a matter of learning the platform to be able to teach online. And then I had a firm understanding of online tools when I moved into the personalized learning leader job. So classroom teachers didn't get that type of um, schooling on online tools because you're just trying to get knowledge in their heads. So I did nothing but online tools for all that time when I was a, you know, a virtual teacher. Then the personalized learning leader job was grant funded. And we all know what happens with grants. They run out. <laughs> so I knew that was coming down the pike and I was looking for something that made me as happy as the personalized learning job, leader job, um, because it got me out of bed. I had autonomy, I had creativity, and I was helping. That was so motivating to me. So I tried lots and lots of things to find a position that would match 
that skill set where you're using these online tools, you're helping people learn. I was already teaching educators in the K-12 world when I was a personalized learning leader how to use online tools. It was just stepping it up a notch to teach educators in the post-secondary world. So when the position for the instructional technologist came open, I tried for it. Of course, I got tons of raised eyebrows in the interviews because they're, they're like, how does this translate over here to teaching folks how to fly a plane? And essentially teaching is teaching is teaching. So all the good stuff I learned standing in front of five-year-olds helped me teach some a five-year-old you know, on a webcam. And then all the good stuff I learned teaching a five-year-old on a webcam helped me teach adults. To be very honest, teaching five-year-olds really does help you teach adults <laughs> a lot. That patience that you need, breaking it down into tiny, tiny steps, Absolutely. not overwhelming them, giving them paragraphs of directions. So all of that kindergarten teacher stuff was super helpful and because in teaching adults because grown-ups are, are um, what is it they're embarrassed they feel insecure when you teach them a new tool online so i have this energy i like to put off this kindergarten teacher energy like it's fine it's gonna be fine click in the top left corner nope not there almost <laughs> you know that kind of thing yep. so it's been it's happenstance that i got here but it is appropriate it does fit yeah I, that's that's what's so wild to to me and and i know that's something that i think i think more people just need to hear that sort of teaching is teaching is teaching and uh and you know it's sort of like we find ourselves saying that uh with with fellow educators and and in in lovely zoom calls and 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 all those sorts of things but that that truly is and i think you're a great example of that is that honing your skills as an educator learning and continuing to learn about uh, how to be effective and efficient um, in how you frame the, the learning for the audience. Mm -hmm. That is that is a skill. Mm -hmm. That is not something that you um, that is not content. That was not something that you were taught at Stetson that, that there was no course at Purdue University that taught me um, about how to to do that. That's a skill that you had that you have continued to fine tune uh, over throughout your experiences in education, learning how to deliver content effectively to kindergartners face to face and then kindergartners through fifth graders in a digital space. And what does that look like? And oh, wait a minute, maybe there's not that huge of a jump to take that sort of approach and apply it to you know older learners and in this case at the uh, university level um, we say it all the time that you know uh, learners are learners students are students and the age is oftentimes irrelevant uh, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing properly uh, so I, that's when when I when I saw your your educational journey I, I that was something that I thought I really wanted to hear more about one thing that I'd like to reference um about teaching adults that it, I thought was just amazingly fascinating. And I wish I could tell you the name of the documentary, but that would require better memory than I have. There was a documentary on Netflix about a lady who had some kind of tumor in the back of her brain. And you watched her journey relearning language. She was a grown up. She had a tumor. She had to relearn language. And there was a speech pathologist who held up a picture of like a record for her and pointed at it and said, what is this? And she said something wrong. I don't recall what it was. And the lady said, no. 
record. And the, the lady with the tumor began to cry. And so then it kind of did a cutaway interview with the speech pathologist. And she said that learning is confrontational. And I never in my life viewed learning as confrontational. Why? Because when you teach five-year-olds, it's not confrontational. You're like, no, this letter says buh, buh, like that. And you have no problem telling someone, no, that's wrong. But the minute you start teaching adults, you're like, oh, learning is confrontational. You're right. So that's where that interpersonal skill where you can make them feel okay with being wrong, share stories about, oh, yeah, I used to mess this up in Canvas all the time. I pointed out to you so you don't have to fight the way I had to fight, you know, that kind of thing. Is there any pressure, Tracy? Embry-Riddle is such a... I mean, I just I hear the word Embry Riddle, and I'm taken back to when I was a when I was a kid back in my younger days um, as an Air Force brat. A lot of folks that were um, looking to be pilots and, and astronauts and, and in aerospace in some way, Embry Riddle is kind of like the number one prestigious university to go to for these types of things. I I wonder if there I I, I just I always think like, are you seeing things that you know that maybe set Embry Riddle apart at your university that you're working on that might be different than some things that you may have been exposed to earlier on in your career or other universities nearby. I mean, obviously, it's a very um, skills based probably university where things are are transferred specifically for aerospace and aeronautical um, industries. But I, I'm curious in your experience what learning has been like there for you and some things that you've seen as an instructional coach that really you feel like sets you apart. Um, the difference between my K-12 experience and here at Embry-Riddle would be a, a, like a quality difference, a level of quality that is just standard versus, you know, I, you both come from the K-12 world. So like, and I was raised real poor. <laughs> so I was used to that. Like the K-12 world, you're getting by. In a lot of ways, you have to just get by with what you have. You have to pinch some pennies together to make this happen and to no fault and to no fault of districts or no. it's just that's just the circumstance of the culture that's been built around a lot of k-12 institutions yeah and i mentioned that during my interview for this embry riddle position where i'm just i would ask questions in such a way where they started to ascertain like oh you don't realize that we could buy that training or you don't realize that we could get that equipment no sweetie it's okay we will buy that for you <laughs> You know, so I had this mindset, like, I will do my best job and I'm not going to bother you or ask for anything because I know that's just the way things go. And that's not the way things go in post-secondary. Like, there is a fund for things. Second to that is the quality of the work that we put out. And I work in the IT department, uh, but I work hand in hand with CTLE, so professional development. I will bring concerns from instructors because I've started to create quite a bit of rapport to like the AV department. And I'm like, they're just anxious about school starting. So get this done when you can. And they'll take it extremely seriously. That's still my K-12 mind working where I'm saying like, just do it when you can. I know you have so much work on your plate. Whereas the people who've been there for years and years are like, this is important. They need to have a working projector. They need to have... Um, the ability to pull up their PowerPoint when they want to. And if there's something that's broken, we need to replace it as soon as possible. And I'm not used to that. Still, I've been, I'm, I'm coming up on two years and I still have it where, ugh, couldn't they figure out a different solution? And people don't behave like that here. Right. <laughs> right. That's, uh, that is, 
I, I think everyone listening who is has any K-12 uh, background at all, uh, or even just remembers their own teachers when they were students can relate to, to that. Uh, we tend to call that sort of the 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 teacher martyrdom, you know, where it's, we're we're constantly apologetic and and so forth, <laughs> and and always always like you said, finding workarounds, finding ways to make things work on uh, low resources, and, and that truly is uh, unfortunately a, a fundamental uh, trait of of, of a K twelve educator at any point. We we've all been there. We've all been there where it's like I want to make a thing happen for my students. Uh, I, I, we don't have the funds, our school, our district, whatever, whatever, how do I get there? And that's when folks get really resourceful. And I think, again, that's another skill. That's another skill set that educators have is getting resourceful. And it's, and it's only, you know, what you're describing is, is an amazing upgrade from that, where the institution is able with the proper people like you, uh, with the proper, um, you know, research of the thing, whatever the thing may be, uh, to be able to uh, leverage the the resources towards those learning outcomes, and that's that's kind of what you were saying about the quality, the quality of what you're able to produce is is ultimately fueled by a lot of things, uh, but it helps to have some resources. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Well, Tracy, we have so much more to dive into, and we definitely want to dig into some serious Canvas content. So after the break, we're going to do a short break, a little different break than what people are normally used to hearing. So uh, we can't wait to do some of that coming up next to see how that goes. But also just diving into Tracy's story and the use of Canvas. It'll be so impactful for those listening. We can't wait. We'll be right back after this on the Canvas Casters podcast. We wanted to take a moment and introduce you to Canvas Catalog. Uh, Catalog is a simple, modern, elegant course catalog and a branded marketplace for all your institutional course offerings offered by Instructure, the maker of Canvas. So we'll be pretty upfront and honest here. Marcus and I have never had the chance uh, to leverage the new Canvas Catalog tool for our courses, but we have gotten the opportunity to interact with it recently and we're really blown away. Uh, Catalog is just one of those things that makes it extremely easy and upfront to customize page templates, offer self-registration and self-paced courses with enrollment, certificates, all distributed automatically, we like to say here at Instructure, while letting your Canvas administrators off the hook. With seamless Canvas integration and the ability to personalize these experiences, Catalog may be a solution for you. Check the show notes below in all of your podcast players for links to find out more about Canvas Catalog. Welcome back to episode 40 of the Canvas Casters podcast. Now, prior to the show, Tracy had explained to Eddie and I uh, how she views her experiences in it as an educator within an LMS. And, and folks out there, some of you have been just lucky enough, hashtag blessed, to have only worked within Canvas. And that if you're one of those people, then good on you. Uh, many of us, however, have sort of traveled through a, a, a labyrinth, uh, a maze of LMSs uh, over, over the few years here. So, um, but 
Tracy put it in a certain kind of way that I thought was uh, both hilarious and spot on. So Tracy, I want you to share uh, this, this sort of scenario with our listeners. All right. So when we started, uh, it was Volusia Online Learning, and it's still, you know, the biggest, it's the biggest online school in Volusia right now. But, you know, Volusia is Volusia, Central Florida, Daytona area. And when we started, we had a content management system. So someone made the animated videos and all the stuff, and all we did was maybe supplement to make sure all the standards were met. That was us paying someone else to do our teaching job for us. And my boss at the time, Dr. Carr, she's amazing. She wanted to have us build the content. So we shopped for an LMS. And the first one we found was Moodle. I imagine we might have vetted quite a bit. I wasn't on the leadership team at the time, so I'm not sure what that process looks like. Secondary teachers struggled quite a bit to get their content up, to personalize it, to really dial in the settings, to make the classroom experience somewhat matched what the students online were doing. We struggled a lot. And we found Canvas. And the moment we started like moving the content over, which was an okay process, and I don't know who, who takes the blame on that. I imagine when you stop paying a bill, people aren't gonna help you do <laughs> you know any extra. But it did feel like we left to or moved on to this like fantastic doting, you know, relationship where if we called them, they would help us. We went on the chat. We got instant answers. We weren't sitting there Google searching for answers for hours. And we around the office started calling him the good boyfriend. Like Canvas was our good relationship when we moved past this relationship that we had with our last LMS. And that was just like this inside joke we had in the office to describe Canvas. Canvas is the doting boyfriend is the the one that's there for you all the, you know we could we could go over the the deep end with 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 letting that go but I thought uh, when you wrote that I thought that sounds exactly the way that educators uh, tend to have your inside jokes right you got your yeah. inside jokes and it's like oh well canvas is the good boyfriend and I just thought that was hilarious <laughs> talk about the value to you Tracy and the importance that that has been for you. Um, in just the just the coaching realm or, or the the ed tech leader in your institutions um, as far as going from like something that was very what you considered very taxing and very time consuming on your part trying to figure out how to get certain pieces to move inside other LMSs and then making that transition to canvas like what did that mean for you to now have this time back and how are you then going to use that as a coach in your districts and institutions? So I want to answer it in two ways, even though you didn't ask it that way. I love, One... <laughs> I love any way you can give it. So <laughs> One way as a teacher, the creativity, like I said, gets me out of bed in the morning. So I was not wrestling with the technology anymore. I got to leverage the tools to be creative and improve the user experience of my students. So that, you know, you said like gives you time back. I took that time and I ran with it and I really made really fun choose your own adventure type courses. And I felt more confident as an educator. I in the online world, you'd feel a little less than compared to a classroom teacher because you, I knew what the classroom teachers were giving those students and the quality of the education you can get sitting in front of a good educator. And I always aimed to make my stuff as good, but it is challenging to replicate that experience. And the moment we moved over to Canvas, I felt a, more empowered to make that happen. As a coach, looking at it through that lens, 
I want to hearken back to what I said before about how technology makes you feel so vulnerable and how adults learning technology are in a vulnerable state. So half of my job is making them feel comfortable with me, making them trust me, and then try new harder things because I'm a trustworthy person and you should, you know, take my advice because I've taught for this long and I know the platform, I'm not going to lead you in the wrong direction. To do that via Canvas versus another LMS is like having a backup, you know, having somebody that has my back, this good boyfriend, because know that I am sleeping at 2 a.m., but if you had a Canvas question, you could reach out to them and they'd answer it. I've got backup. Um, knowing that it's still Googleable if you do have a question, certainly reach out to me. I know you guys trust me at Embry-Riddle. That's fine. But if forever, if, if I'm ever in a webinar and you can't get to me, here's all these backups that you have to feel empowered, to be creative and put your stuff up there. That's going to help your students learn in a deeper, more flexible manner. That's what I love is like, and, and you know, we say it and, and, you know, people can say things a thousand times, but you know, when you hear it from, uh, from, from you, I think it speaks in terms of the creativity. That, that's the part I love is because people don't normally associate uh, online learning or an LMS with creativity. I think oftentimes mistakenly folks will connect, uh, you know, an LMS to, oh, well, you know, everybody's got to do it just a certain way. Um, and, and so I love what you said there about, you know, Canvas empowered you um, and your fellow educators it empowered you to then be able, more able and capable to let that creativity come out because you didn't have to worry about the, the logistics. You were able to focus on making the content, uh, delivering it in creative and innovative ways so that you're engaging those learners. And I, I, that right there is like money in the, money in the bank. I just love that. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, um, <clears throat> we've talked a lot about the whole K through five, and then, you know, working your way up into higher ed. And I think all of us, all educators, whether you were in the classroom for one year or 40 years, uh, we all have at one, at least one project uh, or thing that you've been involved with, an initiative uh, that, that we can always go and look back and say, man, I'm really proud of that. Um, you know, I think, I think Eddie certainly could, you know, what's the one thing you're really proud of in your, in your classroom experience? Um, Tracy, can you tell us a little bit about, uh, one or two of those types of things for you? Yeah. Um, so we're currently working on a homepage template project. Just to sort of explain the structure of Embry-Riddle, there's two physical campuses. One is in Daytona Beach, Florida, and one is in Prescott, Arizona. I get to support both those residential campuses. There's also a worldwide campus. So if you are not physically located or can't be physically located near those, you could get an online degree equivalent to what you would get at the residential campus. The worldwide campus has templated courses that match the same content, but instructional designers build them for our online school. As soon as COVID hit, of course, everybody, their Canvas usage went way up and the visibility of Canvas was more on the tip. See, now I'm using two senses to explain this tip of the tongue. <laughs> the word Canvas was on everybody, the tip of everybody's tongue after COVID. And we started to 
recognize the diversity of experiences that students might have. If I'm an engineering student and I go to my engineering classes, but I have to get a prereq and do this humanities course over in the College of Arts and Sciences, the two experiences in the different colleges were just so vastly different that we wanted to find a way to be more like worldwide and have something templated, but still provide instructors creativity and autonomy inside a template. CTLE and I, our professional development team, worked together to create a template. We were supported by two human factors graduate students at Embry-Riddle. They did research to study the use of our homepage. So like the user experience, does it improve the students? you know, experience. How hard is it for the instructors to personalize it? They took all the data on that while we promoted it, we trained on it and stuff like that. It is a basic framework. It's got a table at the top that we asked them to add hyperlinks to. I've provided a bunch of examples to the instructors to say, you know, if you like these hyperlinks, great, keep them. But if you think they're irrelevant and you will never use them, take it down and put something up there instead. I had a math instructor take down our instructor information link she's like they know who i am i i'm very personable she put a formula sheet up there instead because constantly students were saying hey could you send me another one of those formula sheets i can't find the email i know i have a quiz coming up can i please have that formula sheet she wanted to stop that question so she put it top of the homepage, front and center in front of their faces so that they would you know maybe that question would slow down a bit so we developed the homepage to save instructors time, answer questions before they happen, and then streamline the student experience across different colleges on campus. So if I went to a humanities course, it would feel similar to my engineering course. What's interesting, <laughs> what's really interesting about that, I think, is um, you know, the fact that you're using something very simple and basic that's in Canvas that is provided that's available. But then you were you were asking your institution or you had your institution doing research based off of that usage. So many higher ed institutions could do this because a lot of them are, you know, based in, you know, this research realm and, and industry that they could have specific, even tying it into a course, right? You could use a statistics course or an analytical course that you could then bring those students in as kind of a project for them or a project-based learning experience for them to say, here's a real world thing that we're all using. Now let's, now let's analyze this and use data to decide if we are using it correctly. I'm curious, Tracy, where did you learn about templates? Like, was this just something that you were like, hey, we could solve this with templates? And then, or did you go out? Did you experience other trainings or other things that you saw out there in the world about the beneficial use of templates? A lot of Canvas stuff feels like it's in the e like in the air. <laughs> Sometimes right. it's hard to yeah. it's hard to remember where you first heard of it. Like uh, new quizzes. Back when I was an online learning teacher, new quizzes came about, and like going to tech conferences and stuff like that, you keep hearing about it. Um, I think before I left the K twelve world, they were looking at them as a way to help with. Uh, distributing curriculum easily or something like that for because our district Volusia County Schools is the side of size of Rhode Island so if they could streamline that and distribute information easily kind of leveraging these digital tools I think they saw it as a good way to do it through templates yeah, yeah for sure for sure the a it's a can of worms with templates and and Marcus there's <laughs> you're gonna get me going 
um, <laughs> because I love them. Uh, and, and as you know, there's a bunch of different reasons. I think I'm interested to hear uh, how your uh, professors and, and teaching assistants, how did they take? Because to me, you know, as, as a person who would be the one ultimately creating the templates, uh, to me, I feel like that's such a gift to the educators who are less interested in online design, right? Um, maybe even reluctant, right? For me to be able to say, look, I did the dirty work for you. Yeah. I, you're the content expert. You know about aeronautical engineering. You know about, you know, physics or whatever. Uh, I don't know that. But what I do know is here's a template. This is going to get you started at a place that is academically uh, appropriate, is streamlined, focusing on just the things you need. I'm going to give you this starting point so you don't have to do that, that level of work in design. Did they have that kind of impression? How did they feel about that? So just as in any group of educators, this is exactly how it goes every time since the beginning of time. 50% love it, 50% hate it. And that's just the way it goes every single time. We And when I was K-12, we had a similar idea. They were setting up curriculum mapping inside Canvas so it would be easier for classroom teachers. And there was two ways you could do it. You could either um, handhold and say, minute number five on day number six, you're going to be working on this. Or I could provide you with a well-organized um, Canvas course that has all the resources and you shop for them using your professional judgment. 50% wanted it one way, 50% wanted the other. We put the homepage idea out there. We, we not piloted it. We kind of crowd, not crowdsourced it. We had a meeting and we proposed an idea to lots of stakeholders around campus. And it was literally 50-50. So we found a way to make this very opt-in because we didn't want to tank the idea before it got off the ground. We only offer this to folks who want it. I hit, I've hit the ground running. I'm peddling my wares. I'm really telling people the importance of it. And only the people that want it take it. But it's got this lovely grassroots movement where folks are telling their colleagues and then they're telling some people. And every semester, my, my to-do list is huge because I'm helping folks get this up and running more and more and more. And it's growing in a lovely organic way. And I hope it still does that. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And I think from a student perspective, you know, we've talked about, oh, well, what, what are the, the staff? What, what were their thoughts? But I think where your grassroots, the organic growth of something like this will come even further into play is when you're, uh, and you're probably doing this already, when you're getting feedback from students, from learners who are saying, oh, this is so much better when my, uh, you know, my stat class course at least looks similar uh, to this other course. At least start, you can tell the framework is, is there. Um, that's what we call, we, we talk about equity all the time, and there are different forms of it. And this is learning experience equity, meaning that everyone should have a similar experience in the to-do and the logistics of the learning. If we can keep that consistent, they can focus on what they're supposed to focus on, which is learning the content, not learning how to use the thing. I'm not the one studying this homepage, you know, I'll let the human factors graduate students do that. So all I can offer would be my observations about 
what it was like before we had it and what it's like now. And I do truly feel that it is giving a vocabulary to students about Canvas because we're doing it in that equity piece like you talked about. Because I'm offering this homepage, instructors are thinking a little harder about how they're organizing their courses. And because they're thinking harder about that, they're concerned about how the students are receiving that. And they're having conversations with the students about how the courses are laid out. In fact, I get, all, I get invited into course classes quite a bit to say, can you facilitate a conversation about my Canvas course? And there are both miraculous and beautiful stories that I hear, and then there are really challenging stories that I hear as well, where students won't give me names, but they have to like hit control F in the file list to find something that the instructor posted. So that's not the common thing that happens here. But since I've been invited into classrooms, I have more and more folks reaching out at the beginning of the semester saying, I got dinged really hard on my end of course evaluations because students said that I didn't have A, B, C, or D in my Canvas course. That didn't happen. Uh, my, I've been here for now two years. This is the first semester start where I had two people reach out saying, people, students are articulating that they want me to have a better Canvas course. And that seems to be growing as we go on. It's, uh, we could sit here, honestly, from that whole conversation, like diving into to how you're using just feedback in general to enhance the courses, the fact that you have kind of a, a space inside these courses that educators are allowing you to come in and, and take ownership of, I want to learn, I want my course to, to be better. So, so come in and, and gather feedback and are they receptive to that? I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. We've had you for an entire hour. Like, I feel like we could go another hour, but are, are they receptive to those conversations when you're saying, so here's the deal. You've got a thousand files in here called screenshot one, nine, two, zero, five underscore aeronautical science, right? Like, and, and there are a thousand of them, you know, aeronautical science one, aeronautical science two. Are they receptive to those conversations when you come in and say, okay, so here's the feedback I have. So let's work towards maybe cleaning this up a little bit. A lot of what I do, people opted into. So it's not me coming in after they got a bad evaluation and fixing it. It is right. they recognize they got a bad evaluation and they come to me. So just like in kindergarten, I build everything off of that experience. You don't teach them about our controlled vowels first. You teach them about the word cat and dogs, CVC words, real simple ones. So we don't start with like cleaning up thousands and thousands of files. We might start with let's use modules, you know, so they know where you're stuff is located we start small and we build and we fix the biggest problems first that's awesome that's so good it's about ownership and and educators coming in and allowing themselves to to be a part of that process it's we uh, there will be a tracy uh parody part two at some point um but uh, tracy as you know we always uh like to provide our listeners here at the end with at least one really great takeaway from each episode and you have so many insights and thoughts that we have just barely scratched the surface so the big question now for you is what is the one thing or multiple things that you carry in your canvas backpack each day so i thought really hard about this one because everyone has really good answers I wanted to make sure mine was um, stood out a little bit. And I do say this during every webinar I've ever run, ever, if I could teach you one thing, it would be the three dots. So 
I think that's going to be my takeaway. Always check the three dots because Canvas has brilliant features underneath three dots. And it does bother me that you have to like hide it under such a little nothing button. But like the assignment, change your assignment due dates in bulk underneath the assignment three dots. Send messages who in the grade book is underneath the three dots. Assignment group weights underneath the three dots. So I think my answer has to be those three dots. Yes, I love it. And you know, and, and wait you, now. So now we can do an hour of what you call the three dots. <laughs> yes. But what are they called? That's what I call it. Go ahead, yeah. Eddie. Start. I, I say three dots. I know. I keep Snow, it simple. It's snowman. It's the pickle stack. No. Okay. I no. That. That's what I said. What What have we heard, Eddie? We've heard okay, pickle stack. We've heard snowman. Snowman. Yeah. We've snowman. heard um, uh, deer tracks. I think I heard deer tracks. I, I've heard that before. <laughs> um, what else? There's, I mean, I feel like there's there, more. I think the official name is Option Dots. I'm just okay. going to throw this out there. And there's a, there's a reason why we may or may not know that the official name <laughs> is Option Dots. But I think we, I think so many folks, if they if they have held out to the end of this episode, we're just going to get hate mail for the next <laughs> oh, yeah. for the next month about talking about the three dots. The one-star reviews it. are going to come flooding in. <laughs> Marcus thinks you call it a three dot menu. What a moron. 15 minutes talking about the option dots. Okay, Tracy, we're going to let you go because we've taken up way too much of your time already. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, Such a great guest. We're definitely going to need to have you back on so many good stuff, so much good stuff. So I I really can't wait uh, till we meet again. Awesome. Thank you guys.